The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Let's go! Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Listeners, please welcome fan favorite gay adult star, Blaine Porter. Welcome to the show, Blaine. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. It's great to have you on. Uh, You have been incredibly supportive over the years, and I'm incredibly appreciative of you. So I'm glad to have you on to share your story with the listeners and with your fans. Absolutely. And I want to say likewise, thank you so much for all your support. You're welcome. Yes, you've been someone that has been incredibly receptive to when I was doing the Follow Fridays on a weekly basis, so I am incredibly appreciative to you. There were some people that did not enjoy them, but um, right. what can you do? Right. Yes, for, for the most part, I'd say like 95% of the uh, performers understood what they were. It was a way to shout out performers in the industry. It was also a little bit of a way for me to network with performers for potential interviews, as well as performers to network with each other. But there was a small 5% that really didn't understand what it was and um, found them to be a nuisance for whatever reason. I mean, to each their own. (laughs) It's fine. Right. Right. So let's jump into this interview. And I typically like to start off with uh, checking off some unique stats. So the first uh, question in this small set of questions is, what's your height and weight? Sure. So my height is six feet tall, and my weight is 155 pounds. What's your ethnic background? I am Haitian. I was born in the country of Haiti, and I was adopted when I was four months old and grew up in Michigan. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. I, was, I would have said sac passé, but I would assume you don't right. speak Creole. I, unfortunately, I don't, but I know sac passé. Okay, that's what's up. What's your zodiac sign? Aries. And how old are you? 28. Okay, so let's get to know a bit about uh, you know, the individual behind the performer. So let's talk about your life growing up. What was life like for you, Blaine Porter? Goodness, where do I begin? Um, (laughs) You know, life is definitely a journey. So I have um, three siblings, and we were all adopted from different families. And my brother Spencer and I are both from Haiti. We're not biologically related, but we were both adopted into the same family at the same time. And he's two months older than I am, and so we were really raised as, like, twins. But we were, you know, complete opposites. Um, I uh, was very much into the arts and very artistic and dramatic and began singing when I was – you know, probably before one. Um, 
And so uh, music, I have a very strong music background and musical theater background. And I, um, you know, really just dove into singing and acting, and that was my kind of escape, you know, my happy place. Um, it was a lot of uh, unfortunate, uh, just problematic abuse and trauma, you know, being adopted into white family, white community, with really having no reflection of anyone who looked like me or had, you know, moved through the world in the same way that I did. And, um, you know, it was just a whirlwind of chaos, you know, the whole, we don't see color, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up and thinking that everyone is crazy just because they keep saying, you know, we don't, we don't see color. We don't see color. (laughs) And yet, you know, when I'm looking in the mirror, it's like, um, I think either I'm crazy or, (laughs) or, you know, everybody else is, um, you know, so that was just, just a lot to have to really navigate through at an early age. Yeah, completely. I, I, completely understand what you're saying um unfortunately you know in the 90s for in particular generation x the we don't Mm -hmm. see color line was what they said in essence to say you know uh you know i'm not racist you know i don't see color and i mean clearly now you know, in, in our modern day era, we understand that that was such a, um, it, it was not, what they were trying to convey is not what it sounds like. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, but that was like, that was Generation X's mantra, you know, especially mm. if they wanted to prove that they were not racist, it's like, I don't see color. Right. And uh, there's a blindness in in that statement, because, you know, if you Very don't much. see color, then you don't recognize the person that's in front of you. You don't recognize right. their lived their experience, their humanity. And it's also incredibly sad, and this is no insult. I don't know what the relationship is like with your with your parents, but I think just for me, something that I've always thought is if you don't know or if you don't want to research how to raise a black child and you are a mm-hmm. white family, you probably shouldn't adopt a black child. Right, right. Because the world is very different. America is very different through the eyes of of black people. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. You know, it's it's our history. Our history is filled to the brim with injustices. Right. And if you're not ready to prepare a child that's growing into the world and growing into this world with those eyes, then you probably should adopt a white child. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. And, you know, unfortunately now, the relationship is very estranged um, just because never once were they able to acknowledge, accept, uh, protect my black humanity, you know, let alone, you know, getting into queerness and, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity and all of that. Um, you know, it was just layer upon layer 
you know, and as I would ask more questions, because obviously I had questions <laughs> as a child, um, you know, unfortunately I, you know, would be spanked and said, you know, told, no, we don't ask those questions. And so there was just a lot of silencing um, and decentering and, and really having to learn how to navigate a world in which was not meant for me to really move through in a healthy and, you know, harm-free way. Uh, and then having no connection to, you know, black anything on top of that, um, it was just a, a lot to uh, deal with. Which, based off of everything you're saying, I, I, it's, it's completely understandable. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh... Well, we're going from one deep conversation to another deep one, because I, I do want to talk about your sexuality. When yeah. did you first realize that you were different? When did you first realize, when did you start sort of getting a glimpse of your sort of burgeoning sexuality? You know, and I've, of course, you know, through all my healing work and therapy work, um, I really came to understand it was like age four or five. Um, so it was early on. And I, for at least 10 years of my life um, as a child, I truly believed that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. And I remember just all the time, you know, rummaging through my mom's closet and finding the nightgown that was like silk and it was pink and just shredding around in my room and high heels and, you know, just looking and feeling fabulous. And, and of course, you know, through indoctrination and the church and, you know, about all the isms and the phobias and internalized everything, you know, that really was kind of, you know, beaten out of me um, in order to, you know, survive and, you know, play the part that, you know, was being told to me. Um, and so a lot of my earlier years when it comes to sexual identity, gender expression, um, there really wasn't any safe space for me to, you know, even feel like I could explore so when, uh, you know, because race is so visible, um, it was, you know, the very first thing in every space that I would walk into that some person somewhere, somehow, you know, would combat me with something that having to do with race. And so it was, that was the thing that I always had to choose to kind of combat first and so I really never had a chance to explore my sexual orientation in the way that I wanted to you know at a younger age because I just didn't have the energy for it and so you know it was like in some ways I felt that I grew up really really fast and then in other ways it felt like I was you know stifled and I would say that when it came to, you know, just the understanding of, you know, what sex was and, you know, what I felt, uh, 
it was just really pushed away uh, until my later teen years. So let's talk about that moment, because I feel like now in the year 2023, the coming out moment is almost so passe, you know, but for Mm. us as millennials, you know, there was that coming out moment. Was there, for you, did you have a coming out moment? Was it one that you expressed to your family? Was it one that you expressed to your friends? Did you have a moment where you sort of, you know, declared yourself as the individual that you are? Yeah, it was uh, definitely a long journey, you know, for myself to get to a place where I could confidently say and believe and accept, you know, that I was not the person who I had been so forced into, you know, squishing into a box to be by, you know, family and society and then being okay with that. Um, and I would say probably around the age of 18, 18, 19, um, you know, truly feeling okay, you know, in myself, you know, that I was queer. And I did have a coming out moment with a lot of my friends at the time. And, you know, it was just so great that they were very, um, just very passe, you know, in the, oh, well, we already knew that. And I remember, you know, I got so frustrated because it just seemed like it was so anticlimactic, <laughs> which, you know, now looking back, it's like, no, that's the response that I should have, you know, had all along from everyone. But uh, when it came to my parents, um, I was very, very uh, nervous. And I ended up, it was a New Year's Eve, and I was off to a New Year's Eve party. And I had written this three-page, you know, essay uh, just describing everything that I could think of surrounding sexual orientation and how I felt when I was a child and how I grew into this being who knew for sure that I felt what I felt and that what I felt I believed was right and natural. And and so I laid it on their bed and I called my mom in the car and I was with a friend and I was like, there's something on your bed. Please read it when you have a moment. I'm going to the party now. You know, good night. And, uh, you know, of course at this party I could not do anything. I just sat there and just (laughs) was like, okay, I'm waiting for the phone call now. Um, And then, you know, finally I got the call. And it was my mom. And I went upstairs to get some privacy and some quiet and and over the phone she was just like I read it you know I love you your father loves you please come home and I went home and it was dark and so I was trying to like sneak to my room you know just go to sleep and we can talk in the morning but 
my mom had been waiting up for me and she had come into the room and she gave me a hug and said, I love you. You know, we can talk more in the morning. And uh, then gave me another hug and then, you know, left. And in that moment, I was like, whew. You know, just a huge sigh of relief. Just because this was the same woman who would walk around the house and cast out the demons and pray for the homosexuals to leave the country. And so I, you know, from, you know, being a young child to that point, you know, I had thought, oh, wow, there's been such growth here. Um, And then fast forward, I ended up having to like come out to them like eight different times because they did not understand what that meant or what I was trying to convey or communicate. Uh, You know, just a very uh, arduous and frustrating process. Um, And it seemed like every time that I tried to explain it again and again, um, what I thought was them being open, the door was shutting and shutting and shutting. And, you know, just a just odd. <laughs> it's just a very odd coming out process when it came to my parents. <laughs> yeah, sounds odd and frustrating. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, after that first night where it seemed like she was receptive and understood. Right. When clearly she had no idea what was going on. Right, right. Yeah. Let's talk about gender identity. Sure. And in relation to you. So I, right now I am um, probably, I want to say three months ago, I am, um, I'm an anti-racist educator. Um, that's a lot of the work that I do um, through education work, through social media. And about three months ago, I, I came out um, as uh, my pronouns being they, them. And, you know, just the reception that I got and, you know, even in myself just feeling, ah, this feels much better. Um, I truly believe that had I grown up in a much more inclusive and loving and accepting home environment, I believe that I would be much further in my transition, Uh, you know, than where I am at at the moment. But, you know, wherever I am on whatever spectrum, I'm choosing to celebrate, you know, every single part of it, which, you know, in and of itself is liberation and, and self, self-love. And it's um, also been really interesting because throughout the majority of my life, in like 99.999% of spaces, you know, I really was racialized and socialized 
as a black trans woman first, even before, you know, people would then understand that at the time, you know, I identified as he, him. Um, and so that was always so interesting in, uh, you know, just seeing people's very, uh, lively reactions to whatever, you know, isms, you know, they had in dealing with when it came to their projection or how they had viewed me, you know, especially like going through the drive through you know, over the speaker to be, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> and then when I would pull around, and, you know, just to look on people's faces of like, um, did you, uh, you know, switch bodies? <laughs> um, you know, so it's just been a very, very interesting journey. Uh, and I've really had to learn how to just fully be at home in myself um, just because in so many different spaces, there really wasn't a, a safe space for me to truly feel, uh, you know, a sense of belonging. Well, and after everything you said, I mean, that's, it's completely understandable. I mean, I mean, you grew up as a black man in a neighborhood, in a community that was full of white people. And, you know, adopted by a white family, a really conservative, religious white family. So you were, you were already, you know, um, you know, a, a, a target for lack of a better word. And then as you start discovering your own sexuality and who you are as a person, you know, realizing at a young age that, you know, you, you were like, I was born in the wrong body. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as we know, at least for anyone out there that knows anything about statistics, you know, black trans women are targeted with violence. And so there's that aspect as well. So it's, you've had quite the story, my friend, and you are a survivor. You're thriving. You have, uh, found your place and I'm incredibly proud of you thank you so much you're welcome now as a follow up for the listeners because I feel like for a lot of the listeners you know they there is a lot more trans awareness now in the world I mean let's just be real you know it's first started off with sort of like you know in general gay and lesbian awareness and acceptance and that sort of thing And then over the past mm, five years-ish, maybe a little bit more, five to ten years maybe, five to seven years, somewhere around there, trans awareness has, you know, skyrocketed. And an understanding of the trans community has, uh, you know, been at the forefront of, you know, just the average person's understanding of sort of like sex, sexuality, gender identity, and that sort of thing. I think the gender identity is like the next thing that that's going to be, you know, uh, something that will be focused on and people will start understanding even more. But for the people that are listening, can you 
explain your story about how you knew? Because I think a lot of people, there are sort of like misconceptions and misunderstandings about trans people and when they realized that the person that they are on the outside is not the person that they are on the inside. Is there, yeah. a, is there a way for you to, like, is there, have you been able to, I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone who has never understood. Have you been able to express it in a way that for the person out there that still doesn't understand that they can understand? You know, I mean, of course, like the majority of my family, it wouldn't be safe for me to, you know, try and even express it or explain it. Right. Right. Um, For people who. And like, you know, it totally depends on, you know, what sort of energy someone is bringing into the conversation. Um, I. uh drove for uber and lyft here in atlanta and so i you know have seen heard experienced like everything um under the sun just because you know humans and being stuck in traffic can be quite entertaining um but just over and over again i would i was so um kind of awestruck in how cavalier people would choose to uh, just ask questions that I would never think to even ask people if I'm going to be stepping into their car for three minutes and then, you know, going on with my day. A stranger, uh, basically. Yeah, right. And, and if not every day, every other day, um, you know, someone would would say something along the lines of, so what are you going to get? surgery or you know you would probably make more sense to people if you know you had certain body parts that you know would make you match a certain whatever you know and it just really became apparent how you know people really in order to feel more comfortable, they they want to be able to place place you, and when they can't place you, of course, that makes them uncomfortable. Um, and it, you know, just the the viciousness and the the violence of that cycle of really always feeling that I have to move out of everyone's way in order to just you know stay alive. Um, you know, that was just a cycle that just had continued and it just morphed into kind of a new, a new form, you know, ever since that I had been a young, young person growing up, uh, especially, you know, black in a white world. Um, but I had always, you know, from what I can think back to forming a thought, um, I had always been very connected to my feminine energy. And I want to say, again, around age four or five, 
um, just really just knowing deeply within myself, oh, you know, this isn't right. Um, you know, just the feeling of you want to unzip your, your, the skin that you're in, the body you're in, kind of unzip like a jacket and then, you know, take it off and then step into the other jacket over there that you know will fit much better, but, you know, not having access to it or even not understanding the language to be able to, you know, really pinpoint a thing for myself at that age. Um, and also, you know, not understanding, especially in the spaces that I grew up, that, you know, two two men could be together. Um, you know, not having that understanding, it was like, well, you know, obviously, you know, I feel like a girl in a boy's body. And since I don't have the awareness that two men can be together, it just made sense in that way that, all right, you know, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know that I am definitely, you know, not my brother, you know, um, just because we had operated in very different ways and uh, we were raised differently, treated differently um, because he was straight and you know, just the, the difference in our energy and how we move. And I would always be able to kind of benchmark off of who he was. And, you know, it was like, yeah, I'm, we were not cut from the same cloth. <laughs> so we're going to shift away. And uh, I want to talk about, like, what was going on with your life prior to entering the adult industry? Mm -hmm. So, you know, because I really, unfortunately, didn't have any sort of education on sex or anything surrounding gender expression, uh, identity, sexual orientation, I mean, you know, it really was just a novice, uh, you know, from growing up within the church and really uh, conservative spaces, you know, just didn't talk about sex. It was abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. And uh, I was always someone who was really curious. Um, just that, you know, what is, you know, all these physical things that I'm, you know, hearing and being told that it's, you know, a no-no. And, of course, when you tell kids no, they become more curious. But also, I was just someone who was always really in, in, in tune with myself and that I moved through the world just, you know, feeling very deeply. 
especially with being an artist and a singer and, uh, you know, very dramatic in plays, it was just always that need for connection uh, on a deeper level. And so as I began to kind of have my awakening, you know, sexually, I, um, you know, really went from like one end of the spectrum of feeling like, oh, I can't, you know, can't talk about sex because, you know, that I'll go burn in hell, you know, to the other end of the spectrum of just really choosing for myself how to, you know, see myself, view myself, you know, love the skin I'm in, and uh, choose to just celebrate all of the things that really throughout my life had been, you know, demonized. And so before I had um, stepped into, you know, porn work officially, I had uh, been living in Nashville because I lived in Nashville for three years before I moved to Atlanta. And I had started doing massage work and I would strip for different independent parties and I would pose for different art classes. And, uh, you know, that was during that time, just a way of me really getting to explore and just really feel out, you know, this body that I'd always been in, but for so many, you know, reasons and purposes out of survival, I just really was kind of numb. And so it was like, you know, I was waking up and it was like, oh, this is, you know, interesting. Or, you know, just discovering all of these new parts of myself in a new way was, you know, me reclaiming what I felt had been, you know, lost or taken in the beginning. And so for me, it was just definitely a a statement of power and and uh, self-love when I finally stepped into my first porn set. Well, let's talk about that. That's the perfect transition. How exactly did you get in the business? Like, how did you make those first steps into uh, working in the adult industry? We're going to get into your first time on a set, but right now it's just how, what steps did you take into entering the business? Mm, that's a good question. I'm having to think. <laughs> so, I, um, I started, you know, with, uh, you know, massage. And, uh, you know, I wasn't licensed or anything, but, you know, I was told that I had great touch. And so, you know, at first, guys would come over and it was just strictly massage and then I had evolved into escorting and then I believe that I had been told by a friend at the time to look on one of the websites to try and you know submit 
as a model to you know different uh, porn studios. Because at that at that point, I was really interested um, and wanted to do porn, you know, at a professional level with a studio. But at the same time, I was hesitant, you know, just from all those years of, you know, being told, oh, no, you know, porn is not good. Um, And so, you know, working through those feelings, I had ended up getting contacted by a producer here in Atlanta and they wanted me to come down for an initial meeting just to meet with me and talk with me and see what my goals were. Um, you know, when it came to the adult industry, um, you know, what, if any experience I had. And, um, so we went to the meeting and there was such a part of me that was like, Oh, I'm so excited. Um, and then, you know, I was just still kind of split back and forth. And so I remember it was probably like almost a year later. Um, and there had been quite a few calls back and forth and me asking questions and, you know, talking to other models and asking questions and, you know, just about their process and just really wanting to gain all the knowledge for myself um, to help me make the the decision to take the plunge. Um, and of course, you know, I was nervous. But then once I had decided to do it and then I had stepped on the set for the first time, it uh, was so, so aliving and just, you know, really gave me life. And I had worked on... Um, you know, theatrical film sets and TV shows uh, for quite a while. And so it was um, really almost like a seamless transition of just the the process and the production of how, you know, things were uh, set up in the porn studio, that it was like second nature. And so it was like those nerves could go, go away. Uh, and I can really focus on what I was there to do in the moment just because I had was so used to, you know, lights and the camera and the angles and, you know, boom mics and, you know, PAs. And so that was, you know, great to, to understand at that moment that, okay, I've been down some of this road before. So it wasn't such a shock of, you know, stepping onto a set for the first time. Perfect transition. Let's talk about it. What was your first time doing a porn scene like? What was that experience like for you? What was going on in your mind? Yeah, what were you feeling that first time? So I so I'm, I know that I was shooting with um, Edward James here in Atlanta. Excuse me. And um, he would shoot a lot of, like, black-on-black content. And I remember there was, like, a a slew of models that he had wanted me to 
get the opportunity to work with early on just to, you know, get content out there. And there was like, I want to say eight or nine who, you know, wouldn't show up on time, would be, you know, hours late, um, and either, you know, weren't ready or, you know, it just, from being on set so many years, you know, I had brought a level of professionalism or, you know, preparedness or readiness that others didn't. And so it was uh, difficult to get kind of past that initial uh, kind of a kerfuffle of a meet, you know, with these uh, new models that I had not met before. And I remember that one of the first guys that I had worked with was like two hours late and was not very, um, you know, as enthusiastic about the scene or just the overall production uh, that I really, you know, wished that you would have, um, you know, just because the camera can catch the chemistry that is there or lack thereof. And, uh, it's, you know, kind of was lackluster <laughs> uh, when it came to the, the scene itself, but I know for me, you know, I, I know that I did, you know, my utmost and, and it still was a, a very, uh, you know, aliving and big moment, regardless of the not so um, positive interaction with the other models. That was very diplomatic of you, because you could have read that model for filth. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was very very diplomatic. Well known model or nobody anybody is even paying attention to nowadays. Just curious. Yeah, um, I would say four of the models I had worked with. Um, you know, we were all uh, new or up and coming, or you know, nobody had heard heard our names. All right. In total, how long have you been in the business? I was, uh, goodness. It seems like a long time, but it's just because these past, you know, like three years have seen like centuries. Um, really when it comes to like studio porn, is that the... I guess I guess that's usually the official counter, you know, from the very first scene. Sure. Um, I believe my first was in 2019. Okay, 2019. So almost four years or about four years? Yeah. Uh, and it was like 2019. It was like, I believe April around there. Um, and then it was just like boom, 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 boom. You know, just all these different scenes. Um, so it was, you know, just jam-packed. And then it was like the pandemic happened. And then it was just like complete, you know, radio silent. 
Let's talk about your name in the industry. Let's talk about your porn name. How did you come up with your performer name? It took me quite a while. I uh, really had no idea, you know, what kind of name I wanted. Um, and I am a big believer in, you know, that names hold specific meaning. And, you know, I really wanted to figure out a name that you know, meant something to me and was catchy enough that people would remember it. Uh, you know, it was, it had a sexy ring to it. Um, and so I had, you know, been trying to pinpoint, you know, a good name for probably a couple of years. Uh, and then one day I was looking through like a baby book and I had came across the name Blaine and I had, uh, you know, just saying it out loud. I had just really taken a liking to it. And then I, you know, really went in depth and looked up the definition of Blaine and, you know, the etymology and the history and the culture around the name. And my favorite color is yellow and Blaine means yellow in Gaelic. And for me, it was a, a no-brainer at that point, just because yellow reminds me of the sun and, you know, light and just, you know, positive energy. And then Porter is, I believe, um, German and Scottish. And, um, you know, meaning of like a brick and mortar building, uh, putting together, laying down, you know, whatever building blocks. And so for me, it was putting them together, Blaine Porter in kind of the gift to myself of understanding that I am, you know, building my own way into the light or building my own sunlight or it just um, definitely had a, a deeper meaning for me that I really thought I could, you know, sink into anger into and, and carry it into a, uh, and through a career. How would you describe your fuck style? How would you describe your style of fucking as a performer? So I am, I, you know, very passionate um, and love, uh, you know, gentle, uh, you know, kisses and touch and just very, um, you know, sensual. Um, but at the same time, you know, I can be nasty piggy, <laughs> rough, to a point. <clears throat> um, you know, I, there's some, uh, you know, videos that I watch where I'm just like, whew, yeah, that's going to leave a mark. Um, you know, I'm, I like the mixture of the two, um. Uh, 
I'm someone who is very versatile and open-minded when it comes to just allowing myself to just explore someone else's body and energy and making the, the other person feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, just being able to really meet them where they are and match their energy and, you know, hope, hope to make the the setting, you know, the most comfortable that it can be. Um, and so my, you know, fuck style really kind of comes from really understanding quickly the other person and how just to move within the space with them and definitely since I have uh, you know a music background I mean clap on uh, two and four <laughs> it definitely helps in uh, understanding rhythm and how to really move the body that uh, you know me and another person are able to move together and I'm able to correct quickly just from you know the years as, you know, as a dancer and swimmer as well and really being in tune with my body and how it moves that really helps it seems as if and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as if when you first started, when you start, started doing work with the major studios and that sort of thing, it looked like they were really trying to build, bill you, not build you. Well, I guess maybe build you up, but to bill you as more of a top. And then yeah. you, which I mean, I mean, it's fully understandable based off of the package. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and right. then... They well, you seem to be taking on a lot more work as a bottom recently. I mean, so in essence, you have been very verse, but I would say in recent time, you have been taking on more scenes as a bottom. Would you, um, am I correct in what I just said? And is yes. that where you are headed? towards more in the future, you know, topping less or maybe even ceasing topping and focusing more on bottoming on film. Yes, and yes. I um I knew like I never I never really uh, thought about, you know, topping or being a top just because I had always bottomed before I ever stepped into studio porn and you know I'm someone who really loves bottoming and loves being you know submissive and at the same time you know a power bottom and just really being able to move on the dick and you know make it my own and just you know really pleasure pleasure a guy and it was when I started uh, filming that uh, they really were trying to push me, of course, into the stereotype of, you know, the BBC and 
you know, you're, of course, you know, having a larger package, you know, they were very uh, willing and able to be like, well, you know, you're bigger, so. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the beginning of my uh, career definitely, I think I'd top in, if not all, a huge majority of the videos uh, starting off. And it just never felt truly, uh, you know, authentic, even though, you know, because I've had years of, you know, acting, you know, I was definitely able to still, you know, act, uh, you know, the part, but it definitely wasn't, um, as, uh, fulfilling in the sense of what I knew that I wanted. Um, and then also I, uh, had been in a relationship at the time that was kind of tumultuous and this guy uh, just wouldn't let me <laughs> bottom ever. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing. Um, but, you know, coming out of that too, when this was like when the pandemic had begun, it was like um, just the... Uh, trigger the PTSD of just, you know, surrounding all that, that for me, it was a, a step in the direction of a new beginning and really wanting to rebrand myself. And, and at the, at that time that, you know, there was such a lull in porn work and escorting work. I really kind of took the time to cocoon myself and just, you know, heal, but also like figure out you know, how to rebrand myself and, you know, what that would look like and, you know, just wanting to make sure that uh, I could choose what I wanted to do uh, and that, you know, I, I wanted to be in charge of, you know, my own brand and my own, you know, story, you know, moving through the porn industry and, and so for me it was, uh, a no-brainer of really starting to market myself as a bottom so that, you know, other models and studios would see that and go, oh, okay, we get it. Let's break a porn scene down. In a scene, when it comes sure. to oral, which do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving? Mm. I mean, I love giving. Because um, it makes me feel just more sluttier, you know, like I'm preparing for the big uh, fuck. But then again, you know, if a guy's really good and knows what he's doing, you know, I love getting head too. In a scene, when it comes to rimming, which do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving? Oof. I know I'm probably a uh, bottom who's rare in the sense that I love, you know, of course, you know, receiving both, but also giving both as well. Rubbing it and 
with some oof, gosh. I would say in a scene, I mean, definitely, you know, as a bottom, I I want to be, you know, eaten out. But like if the top also likes seeing his ass eaten, I definitely will buy partake in that buffet. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position to perform for the camera? I would say uh, probably reverse cowgirl. Right. Um, just because I feel like being, you know, quite flexible, I'm able to stretch my legs apart really well to be able to expose my hole in the dick going in and and I always feel the most powerful in that position, just being able to ride the dick, and it just feels really good. And, of course, we know how the scene ends with the cum shots. In a scene, where is your favorite place to take the load, and where is your favorite place to shoot your load? I mean, I love, of course, taking the load inside. And I know that, you know, a lot of studios want there to be the cum shot, uh, you know, the money shot. But I love uh, on a, in a scene where you just see the, the top stick pulsating and, you know, just breeding the bottom and you see the bottom smile and, you know, I, I love that. And then, <clears throat> where do I... I, you know, sometimes uh, like in shooting my uh, own content, sometimes I know that uh, I won't come, but the, the top will come. Um, but if I am shooting, I mean, I love coming in somebody's mouth. Um, or on their face or on their chest. So far... In the time that you have been in the industry, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Who have been some, in your opinion, some standout performers that you've been paired up with? Yeah. I, uh, one of them is Robbie Dash. And we filmed, I think, either two or three scenes together over the course of time that I've been in the industry. And... He was just always somebody who was just very uh, easygoing and just great to talk to, you know, just great personality, um, you know, which is, of course, lovely to experience and have. And uh, when it came to, you know, the, the sex and the fucking, and it was just always so passionate and it just felt natural and and like you know our rhythms really connected well and then I know that uh, I filmed uh, with Hot Rod and that was uh, a great time we, we had fun and that's probably one of the videos that I get told on by a lot of fans and followers that is one of their favorites. Hot Rod is a legend. Mm-hmm.
and huge. Goodness. Yes, that is factually accurate. Break open that day. Are there any performers that you haven't worked with yet that you've got on maybe like a wish list of performers that you hope to work with in the future? (laughs) Yeah. Goodness. My list is like hundreds long. Um, I, uh, you know, and of course, before the pandemic, I had, um, been really active in networking and connecting, and I had, like, six studios that were interested in putting me on the roster for the the following year, um, and so right now I'm kind of building up those contacts again, but I, uh, have so many guys that I, I know that I want to film with and of course you know through social media through twitter you know i've definitely been communicating with a lot of different guys that i'm interested in filming with at some point and there's quite a quite a slew of guys who you know which is it's great that they also want to film with me and so we're just you know hopefully uh waiting for that that moment to happen and going to manifest that, but, uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, of course, as I watch porn, you know, there's always somebody new that I hadn't seen before. You know, they become my new favorite, and then we have to slide into their DMs. Absolutely, yes. Now, are there any performers in the business that you look up to that uh, inspire you in what you're trying to do in the industry? Mm-hmm. I would say Max Connor is uh, one who I really love the the work he does. You know, of course, the porn itself. But just as someone who is really trying to uh, create space for models of color and someone who is an advocate for diversity and different body types. And, you know, those are the models that I really look up to and and admire uh, just because it's still, you know, in 2023, for a lot of uh, performers, white performers, you know, I being the one to be chosen to film with them, you know, I would be their very first uh, person of color. You know, it was just shocking, you know, still to this day. And, like, I remember when I filmed with Johnny Rabbit, and he's been in the industry for, what, over, like, 13 years? And um, that was his very first black guy to film with. And so, you know, for me, it's people who are creating the space and and leaning in and allowing, you know, models who in the past probably would not have gotten a chance that they can now, you know. And that's what I love about, you know, the fans pages and, you know, social media in the sense, in the good way of really becoming the great democratizer and creating, you know, opportunity and spaces for people who probably 
wouldn't be able to. Absolutely. Shout out to Max Connor. For some reason, he gets a lot of flack online, and I, I know. you know, I, I don't understand it. I feel like everything he's trying to do really is to bring awareness and bring diversity and to bring new opportunities to performers of color in the industry. So he gets his props for right, me as right. well. Now we're going to shift into some serious questions about the industry. And uh, the first question in this set is, are there any misconceptions or myths about porn stars that you would like to dispel? Hmm. So I think, you know, like I think back to when uh, I was uh, just starting and had all of these, you know, questions or misconceptions that, um, had been debunked. I would say probably one of the big ones is, you know, that um, as a performer, you don't necessarily like or are attracted to or are necessarily like yippee doo excited uh, about every single model that, you know, you are usually paired with. Um, I know a lot of people would ask when I first started, oh, do you get to choose who you get to film with in every scene? And I was like, oh, no. Um, you know, that's not, you know, part of my description. Um, and, you know, just the immense shock that, you know, people would display. Um, you know, it was just really interesting. But, like, for me, you know, being a part of film and television in the mainstream for quite a while, you know, it was just a given that, no, that, you know, get to choose who, you know, who else is cast, you know, as the casting director. Um, but I would always make it a point of, like, if I didn't know someone and I had found out, you know, that I was filming with them, you know, I would... Google or, you know, do all my research that I could. But, you know, it's um, it's definitely not for everyone in the sense of if you were not able to really act and you meet someone who you have to work with who the sparks are not there, you know, it's going to catch on the camera. Totally. 100%. Yes. We all see if there's no chemistry, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. you know, right. but it, it does happen. Is there, in your opinion, is there any competition amongst performers in the industry? I mean, I, you know, definitely I can see where people try to you know, from, from what I've seen or experienced, you know, people try to either pit themselves against each other uh, to create, you know, noise. Um, you know, that saying of, you know, sometimes bad noise is better than no noise. Um, or, you know, I've, I've really ex experienced watching just you know, conflict uh, 
being risen or, you know, competition energy really being displayed from people who are choosing to project whatever issue within their own life because the reality is, you know, we can really only choose to be in competition with ourselves because, I mean, everybody's journey is so different. And, uh, like, for me, you know, it was quite different from a lot of the other models that I've been paired with so far. It's like, we would never be able to uh, really compete in the sense of we would never exist in the same circles when it comes to either clients or studios just because, you know, we're just so different. Um, So I, I would think that, you know, there'd probably be more competition from those who, you know, look the same, same height, same, you know, body build. But, you know, I think there's, of course, a little healthy competition that helps, you know, keep people fueled and always trying to strive for the next thing. But it's that balance that people, you know, in order to be successful, you have to really utilize the understanding of how to balance whatever. Mm -hmm. Is there an aspect of the industry that you do not enjoy? I mean, yeah. (laughs) You know, really, because I, you know, I'm so, like, left-brained and creative and artistic, and, you know, for me, it's, it's been, like, the business side of it that, uh, that, you know, definitely I'm, I'm, I'm learning and really, when I did my rebranding and really, you know, started from the ground up and re, rebuilt my, um, just, you know, understanding of how to really be a good business person and, you know, operating in the, in the way that, you know, I want to own, you know, all of, Blaine Porter and just really trying to do business in the way that will create longevity and lasting, you know, networking. And and so it's been a lot, you know, but I'm, I'm glad that I went through it because, of course, now, you know, much more knowledgeable, uh, in, you know, in the, on the business side. Um, but still, you know, it's just not my favorite part of it. <laughs> you know, when I've worked with some agents in the past, and, you know, for me, it just seemed, and it worked out just better for me to, you know, book myself and and meet people and not have to have this middleman who, you know, really didn't, um, you know, serve me in the same way that, you know, maybe others were or are. And so, uh, you know, now it's definitely uh, moving into grooving with uh, people being more interested in filming 
you know, with with me now that my name is out there and growing and, you know, it's a good feeling. As a black person in the adult industry, have you mm-hmm. experienced any racism, colorism, discrimination, or microaggressions? Oh, all the above. <laughs> um, you know, of course, depending on the set and the atmosphere, or, you know, who who is on the set, uh, you know, it can be, of course, very um, subtle. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I've been on sets before where, you know, it was the head producer who, you know, said something really problematic or, uh, you know, it's just, again, just an extension of the rest of the world and how, you know, I have to just navigate through in a, in a way that, You know, just is always uh, protecting my, you know, my safety in the sense of, you know, understanding what studios are, you know, positive to work with versus others, and and what's been really difficult in, you know, understanding for myself, but then also trying to like navigate through it and is, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, white models and other models of the BIPOC community, um, you know, just really being in uh, a place of not wanting to film with black models, you know, for whatever reason. Um, You know, that's just you know, crumbing just because, for me, it's like, well, the more the merrier, Um, but I run into a lot of that, too, you know, of course, being in the South, and, you know, all all the stigma and ism that still exist, can just, you know, again, just make it harder for, you know, people who look like me to, uh, maintain the same kind of level of importance or stardom within, you know, fans' eyes of other models who have, you know, more opportunity or who choose to allow others to have more opportunity. But then, you know, that's why I go back to applauding Max Cotter and people who are helping create the spaces for that, for us, you know, to take up space and and move in ways that we always should, should have had access to. Absolutely. 100%. Now, when I just asked that question, I talked sort of about, you know, I sort of gave all the isms, basically. Um, that that are out there that black people can experience here in America. The one that I want to specifically focus on as a follow-up question is colorism, because you are a dark-skinned uh, black yeah. person, and I'm I'm just wondering if the color of uh, your skin, in particular, 
the the tone of the color in your skin if that has been something that uh, has been an issue with other performers in regards to working with you oh yeah um you know a lot of it like even in my own you know content creating where it's like i'm reaching out to models online or you know, if I see, you know, a model is in Atlanta, you know, and I think their work is really hot, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I don't necessarily, you know, know this person, and we're just gonna, you know, hope and see, and it's just very telling that how cavalier or how open people will say, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm only, you know, film with these specific models, or I only do this, you know, and it's like, you didn't have to say that at all. Um, you know, so that's quite frustrating, but also, you know, just being, you know, dark skin, I've run into some moments of kerfluffle uh, with uh, a lot of black studios as well. Because um, it's like I look a certain part, you know, but then when I, you know, open my mouth to speak or just the energy in which I operate or move, you know, because to be, you know, darker is, you know, the, the stereotype of the more masculine, uh, you know, the more uh, rough and tumble and then you know, lighter skin uh, tends to have the connection of more feminine, lighter. And so for a lot of, you know, black gay porn studios, it was the whole conversation of me not being thug enough and that I wouldn't fit. And, uh, you know, there were times on sets where, you know, I um, would have to kind of just sit and wait to be called on, so to speak, uh, when it seemed that, uh, you know, lighter skin models, of course, got, you know, preferential treatment. I'm trying to say that word. Preferential treatment. There we go. Uh, you know, depending on whatever uh, the situation was, um, you know, so just, again, existing and moving to the world in which all of this, you know, the colorism, racism, you name it, already, you know, exists very loudly, um, and so it's just very interesting to navigate, to navigate it in such a interesting and unique space that is, you know, gay porn. To wrap up this sort of set of kind of like serious questions in regards to some of the more serious issues in the industry and and issues that affect performers in the industry, I want to ask you about romance. I know it's a weird question to ask in the serious questions, but but romance is serious. Uh, I'm curious to ask you... 
Exactly. I'm curious to ask you, as a performer in the business, someone who's been in the game now for a couple of years, is it mm-hmm. difficult to be in any sort of, whether it's romantic or not, just a, a relationship in the industry while you're working in the industry? I know that you referenced before a relationship that ended and this, that, or the other. So, I mean, I'll be honest, and this is just full disclosure for the listeners. Like, I don't know if you're dating anybody. I don't know if you're in a relationship. I don't know if you've dated other performers. I don't typically follow that kind of sort of like industry kind of stuff just because I feel like it's more gossipy than anything else. Um, So I I don't know what your situation is at the moment. So I'm just asking you as someone who doesn't know blank slates, your thoughts on romance in the industry and dating in general, Uh, in your mind, is it more ideal to date someone who's in the industry? Is it better to date someone that's not in the industry? What's your relationship with relationships in the industry Mm. my relationship with relationships well uh right now currently i am single and i am loving it um i uh had uh, dated uh two people in the past um who were not in the industry and they loved that i was in the industry um so that really was never an issue um for me first and foremost you know if i'm you know giving any advice to those out there i would say that you first have to learn how to know your center and know yourself and find a home within yourself and love yourself authentically um which you know everybody comes to that point if they do at different times in their lives. And for me, stepping into sex work was really my introduction into just really accepting myself for me um, and really just being able to feel kind of like stepping into a, a suit it was like me stepping into myself and really feeling all of my uh, beingness uh, for the first time. And so I know for me, at the time, I was in a relationship and it didn't uh, pan out, you know, for various other problematic reasons. <clears throat> uh, you know, won't name names. But, uh, you know, for me, it was all right because... I knew that the universe had this new path for me and I really needed to be on my own um, in order to really find myself, to be able to move through my life in just a a new way, you know, to, to level up. And so for me, you know, whether it's a relationship with another person or a relationship with oneself, you know, it's... Number one is always being honest with, you know, how you feel, uh, even when it's uncomfortable. And, you know, doing the work in the relational sense, you know, that relationship with self, relationship with another person, it is a work. And, you know, you want to find someone who is willing to put in that work 
you know, that you choose each other each and every day. And that can be somebody in the industry or, you know, somebody outside of the industry, you know. It kind of is one of those things where when the person is the right person, you make it work. And now, of course, everything is not for everybody. And so, you know, there are people who, you know, they choose monogamy and that works for them. And there are others who choose open relationships and that works for them. And, you know, there's a difference between, uh, you know, physically connecting versus emotionally connecting. And, you know, certain people have uh, a harder time at uh, kind of compartmentalizing uh, that you know, just we're all wired differently. So it's first, again, getting to know yourself, to know what you want and, you know, how you operate within yourself so that when you perhaps find someone you're interested in, that you know what you're bringing to the table and what, you know, your preferences and your deal breakers are, you know, a clear, a clear vision of that because that'll set the foundation. Absolutely, 100%. I feel like every relationship out there, whether it's a romantic one, a uh, friendship, or even a familial relationship, mm-hmm. like every relationship should have the backbone of open communication. I mean, if you aren't properly oh, communicating yeah. how you're feeling or what's going on in your mind, uh, I mean, I feel like any sort of uh, relationship is doomed to fail. Oh, yeah, I'm going to crash and burn. Exactly. So let's shift away from the serious stuff and let's once again focus back on you as if, well, as if the focus of this interview has not been on you, but um, let's talk (laughs) about your original content. Let's talk about you and the content that you create. Let's talk about your OnlyFans. What type of content can the listeners expect to find in your OnlyFans? So I love working with multiple different types of models and creators. Uh, You know, just as someone who is black and queer and femme, you know, I've been in a lot of spaces where I've either been, you know, decentered or silenced or, you know, chosen last. And so for me, it's about rising and rising together and so you know i love to film with different body types and um you know different ethnicities and races and uh you know film just a variety of different uh you know piggy nasty passionate uh acts you know whether that's you know me solo or you know a duet or if you know three person scene or a group scene uh there's a lot there that people can look through that there's something for everybody how often do you update your original content so i you know i before the pandemic i mean i was shooting quite often um while also escorting as well so I was quite busy and then the pandemic happened and you know of course it was a very tragic and 
difficult time for so many people. But at the same time, one of the silver linings out of that for me was really becoming more economical um, and really becoming more, uh, just more effective with, you know, how I approach shooting and editing. And so I was able to kind of rebrand, you know, myself, as I had mentioned earlier, and how I really wanted to be seen and market myself as more of a bottom. And in that process, I was able to really kind of finite my editing skills and was able to create a lot more marketing material, promotional material um, out of, you know, the same uh, level of content or the same, same amount of material. And so it was uh, great because I didn't have to film as much, but I still had enough content to keep putting out, um, you know, at least a couple times a week on my uh, fans pages just to keep the consistency and fans interested, intrigued. And it's all about, you know, consistency and then also, of course, quality. Um, which, you know, as I work with other models and photographers and videographers, you know, it's always a, an opportunity to learn, and I definitely take that. Let's talk about the reaction that you get in regards to social media as well as within your original content. What part of your body gets the most attention on social media and from the subscribers of your content? Mm. Well, I would say, I mean, you know, it definitely depends on what um, what uh, social media app or website. Just because, you know, there are certain websites that you can't put certain material on or you'll get flagged or, you know. But I would say the majority of the uh, the compliments or comments that I receive are about my ass. And, uh, like, I know, like, on Instagram or Snapchat, you know, I'm able to show a, a little bit, but, you know, not too much. But, you know, Twitter is just like a free-for-all. So, you know, there it's definitely comments about my hole and, uh, you know, my feet. And that always feels good. Now it's time for the big question, a question that some of your fans might be curious to know the answer to, especially because earlier in the interview, we discussed how when you joined the industry, they were, they being, you know, the websites and the producers and directors and that sort of thing, and they were trying to bill you more as a top. And right. clearly you're making a major shift you know, to focus on being more of like a power bottom in the industry. So, but I'm sure some right. might be curious to know. How much is Blaine Porter packing? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, when I am absolutely at my rock hardest, um, it's a good old nine and uh, pretty thick. Let's talk about the pop shots, the money shots. The money shots. Yes. Do you do anything in particular to maintain a consistent pop for the camera? 
like I will uh before a shoot I won't uh you know masturbate or have sex for a couple of days so that I can store up and uh you know drink lots of water uh or just stay really hydrated uh and you know the day of you know I just try to really stay relaxed and for me being in cold air uh really affects uh my performance just because i when i get really cold i shiver and like everything just like shrivels up uh so i always make sure that you know either i have to have a heater with me you know depending on the climate of the place of the studio uh and just you know keep myself kind of like an incubator because as i um am warmer uh that helps my uh, pop shots be the the liveliest and uh gooeyest if you will yes 100% earlier in the interview we discussed what position you enjoyed or you should say not enjoyed but you enjoy performing in front of the camera so i'm curious to ask you now in your personal life what's your favorite sexual position mm goodness i I mean, I love missionary, uh, you know, as the bottom, you know, having the top on top of me and, you know, us making eye contact. I also really love, uh, I call it the cuddle fuck. I don't know if that's the name of it, but it's where, uh, you know, you're like cuddling or spooning each other and you're both facing the same way and like the top is behind me and you know, he's just able to slip it in and able to, you know, hug and kiss and cuddle while fucking at the same time is really passionate. And I like that. I believe that position is just called spooning, but from here on out, listeners, you should call it the cuddle fuck. Yes, yes. Yes, fantastic. Tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know, something unique about yourself. Mm-hmm. I was homeschooled for five years, and I was really obsessed with geography, and I learned how to draw the United States freehand. Oh, wow. And learned how to draw Europe and Africa and South America. I think I almost had Asia, Uh, but, you know, it was much more complicated. I don't think I could do it now, though. I can still do the States, but... Describe yourself in 10 words or less. Oh, goodness. I exist to move mountains. Oh, I love that you actually made a sentence. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. It's the artist in you. Yes. Yeah. On 10 different words? (laughs) Exactly. Now, as we start wrapping things up, I have this list of pop culture-oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and your fans to get to know some of your favorites. The first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Oh, Lord. Okay. Uh, Like currently running or just like five, just in general? I know I asked the question, but it's your answer. So let your freak flag fly, however you want to answer it. All time, recent, however you want to answer it. All right. 
Well, I love Shonda Rhimes. So I'm going to go Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, um, How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, this is Us. And, okay, five. Let's see. Um, oh, goodness. I'm having to go way back. Um, uh, Queer as Folk. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? Mm. Uh, Queen Herbie, Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Beyonce. What are three of your most favorite films? Mm. Oh, goodness. Uh, okay. Pride and Prejudice, the Keira Knightley version. Um, oh, God. This is hard because I'm such a film fanatic. Uh, let's see. I love The Help. And one more. Um, the Color Purple. All my life I had to fight. Mm. Yes, Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Harpa who this woman. Right. <laughs> she got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> the fuck out. Yeah, so good. What are two foods you can't live without? Does pasta count as or I guess you need more specific? No, it's perfectly fine. Okay, pasta. Love pasta. Um, and uh, potato chips. Is there a particular flavor? Uh, like sour cream and onion. I think that's my my jam. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Oh goodness, just one. <laughs> um. Guilty pleasures. Goodness, that could be anything. Uh, I love uh, just kicking back and watching some good porn. Or, like, I'll have porn playing on, like, all the screens in the house. And I'll just be moving room to room, just, you know, having a good old time by myself. Blaine Porter is naughty, listeners. (laughs) Fair enough. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. What are you currently binging? Are you binge watching anything at the moment? Um well I was watching like twelve different shows at the same time and I have been really focused on like news, I know. But as of late, just with so much happening in the world that um and I'm like very into politics and so that's what I've been binging, which is probably not the best choice, but... Well, no, it's always important to know exactly what's going down in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a political news junkie as well, so uh, I completely understand. Yes. What's next for Blaine Porter? What can the listeners expect from you in the near future? I mean, it's still pretty much the start of the year. We're in the first quarter of 2023, so what can the listeners expect from you as the year continues to pass by? Yeah. Well, definitely, I'm going to keep creating uh, nasty content for all of the 
lovely fandom followers uh, with lots of different people. And I have uh, have a whole list that I was working on with connecting with different people around the country. And also, I have some prospects in Europe as well. Um, I know that I have, there was like five different major uh porn studios that were really interested in working with me and this is before the pandemic and so now we've been just trying to uh, reconnect and get me back on the uh, schedules for uh, their filming season but I'm pretty sure uh, studios like Next Door um, and uh, Treasure Island um, and some, some other ones you'll probably see me See me on those screens. How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, as well as your original content? Where can they uh, subscribe and all that kind of stuff? Basically, all the links and information on where they can find you on the web. Yeah. Well, for those who want to connect with me, uh, they can uh, search up all my links, A-L-L-M-Y-L-I-N-K-S, uh, dot com slash and it's a Blaine Porter X. So B L A I N E P O R T E R then the letter X. And that will give them all the links. Perfect. Awesome. Short, sweet, simple and straight to the point. I love it. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Hey y'all, I just want to say thank you so much for all of your support and your love and all the lovely nasty messages uh, it definitely turns me on and it helps you know me create more content for you so thank you well i certainly want to thank you so much for the interview blaine you were fantastic i really appreciate your openness, your honesty, your candor. This interview has been a little bit of a roller coaster. I mean, we started with some really deep stuff, and then we kind yeah. of lightened it up, and then we got into some more deep stuff, and then lightened it up again. So I appreciate you uh, for being so open to go on that journey with me and uh, with the listeners. Absolutely, and thank you so much for the opportunity and, you know, to be able to share you know, more parts of myself to help the fans and followers get to know me more is always a really great treat. So thank you. You're welcome. Certainly the door is open for more. Whenever you want to come back and update the listeners on what you've been up to, you're more than welcome to. Oh, great. Thank you. I definitely will. Perfect. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Poppy Chulo. Before we go, here's our answer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Poppy Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Poppy Chulo, visit poppychuloradio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Poppy Chula Radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com.
Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that, Blaine Porter and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Yes, good night. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Julo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>